good morning to you. It's good to see you all here this morning. I pray that you have already been blessed this morning, that you've already, already enjoyed a time of worship together, a fellowship of Bible study, as I pray that you're able to enjoy and, and make it to and be blessed in one of our Sunday school classes this morning. And as we continue worshiping, I'll invite you to turn with me to Numbers chapter 13, if you're looking in your bulletin, you're thinking that I'm out of place, and that's true, I am out of place this morning. For the first time since I've been here, and for only one of a few times since I've been preaching, I'm actually swapping what I had planned to preach this morning and what I planned to preach tonight backwards. And so Joshua, uh, the book, or as we look at the life of Joshua that I was going to preach about tonight, as we've been looking at that on Sunday nights, we're going to look at this morning. And then you'll have to come back tonight if you want to hear from Romans chapter 13 about governing officials. That'll be this evening in our time of corporate study, so you can come for that. But as we look in Numbers 13 this morning, we are looking at the life of Joshua. We've been on Sunday nights now for several weeks looking at the life of Joshua. Going through to this point, we've built a lot of his background. We've looked at where he came from. We've looked at many of the things that he's seen, many of the things that he's been a part of, how those things would have molded him, how they would have shaped him. Joshua, as many of you know, this is the Joshua that the book of Joshua is written about. Uh, the man that will succeed Moses as the leader of the people of Israel. And we're seeing how God prepared him for that position. And today we're seeing a very significant text, a uh, very significant scripture in the life of Joshua. And so before we look at the text in Numbers 13, I want to catch you up. Because some of you haven't been able to make it on Sunday nights or you've been in discipleship groups or teaching our children things of that nature. So I want to catch us all up so we're all on the same page. Whenever we look here in Numbers chapter 13, we're just a couple of months removed from Egypt. So this isn't a long way into the Old Testament, just a few months, about three months before what we'll see this morning, all of these tens of thousands of Israelites were slaves in Egypt. Joshua himself was born as a slave in Egypt. He was, as I said many times, a slave born to slaves that were born to slaves. His family and his people had been slaves for about 400 years. And when he was born, that's all that any of them would have known. He was born to a nation that wasn't much of a nation. They didn't have their own land. They didn't have their own borders. They didn't have their own home. They didn't have their own government. They were just slaves living in Egypt doing whatever they were told by the Egyptians. But of course, he would have also been there to have seen the ten plagues take place. To see Moses coming back and telling about the burning bush experience in the presence of Almighty Yahweh. And he would have seen the ten plagues. And, and he and the people of Israel would have just in the past couple of months seen the Red Sea parted and walked across on the dry land. Saw it close back in on the, the Egyptian army as they tried to pass through and pursue them. He was there whenever they would wake up in the morning, and as the dew had fallen, manna had also fallen, this bread from heaven that God gave them so that they would have food every day so that they could eat, seeing God providing for them in such a mighty and amazing way. They would have seen the water flowing from the rock whenever they were in the wilderness and there was nothing to drink, enough water flowing out of a rock that tens of thousands of people and all of their cattle and everything else that they had could be perfectly watered and perfectly filled. He was 
Joshua was the leader whenever all of a sudden the people of Israel, this infant nation that has been slaves that have just left slavery, were called to battle because the Amalekites came in deciding to attack them. Joshua was told, Joshua, get up a fighting force. They didn't have an army, they didn't have a trained people, but Joshua got some men together and went, and they would have all seen that as Moses stood high above the battle, that when he held his hands up, that they defeated the Amalekites, and that when his hands went down, that they were being defeated by the Amalekites. And that as his hands stayed up, God allowed them to be victorious in a battle that, frankly, they really had no business winning. And, of course, he was there. He was one of the closest people to the top of Mount Sinai when God himself came down and they saw the dark, thick cloud and they saw the smoke and they felt the ground rumble and they heard the thunderous voice of God and God made a covenant with them and said, If you will be my people, if you will obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you will be my special people special of all the people on the earth and I will be with you and I will protect you that he would have been there to have been part of the people of Israel that said yes God will make this promise to you if you'll make this promise to us and so now where we're picking up in Numbers 13 all of these things have happened in just a few months they've had a really busy couple of months really amazing couple of months and now they're standing at the southern border, the edge of Canaan, which we just simply know as the promised land. They're standing now at the edge of the land that's been promised to them, ready to go in and take it. And then look with me in Numbers 13 as we get our account of what happens next. Verse 1, it says, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the people of Israel. From each tribe of their fathers you shall send a man, every one a chief among them. So Moses sent them from the wilderness of Paran according to the command of the Lord, all of them men who were heads of the people of Israel. And these were their names. And then it goes through the list of the names there. And if you would look with me in verse 16. It says, These were the names of the men whom Moses sent to spy out the land. And Moses called Hosea, the son of Nun, Joshua. Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan and said to them, Go up into the Negev and go up into the hill country and see what the land is and whether the people who dwell in it are strong or weak, whether they are few or many, whether the land that they dwell in is good or bad, whether the cities that they dwell in are camps or strongholds, and whether the land is rich or poor, whether there are trees in it or not. Be of good courage and bring some of the fruit of the land. Now the time was the season of the first ripe grapes. And we'll stop there for just a few minutes to kind of look at what we see. There's a, a very good setting for today. Again, we're a few months outside of being slaves in Egypt, and now the people are standing at the border of the promised land. And God says, Moses, I want you to take 12 men, one from each of the tribes, and send them as spies into the land. Send them to see how good the land is. And it gives us the names of all of the spies, but one specific one, that's very special for our purposes today. We see in verse 16, his name was originally Hosea, but it says that his name was changed to Joshua. And now, that doesn't sound that special to a lot of us, but we discussed this a few weeks ago. The name Joshua is a very significant name because the name Joshua in Hebrew is the equivalent of the name Jesus that we would see in Greek in the New Testament. 
It's the same name, and the name means Yahweh, which is God's personal name. Yahweh is salvation. His name means God saves. Joshua that we're looking at and that we're talking about, Joshua that's going to be the leader of the people, is named God saves, or God saves us. A very, very significant name that we see here. Every time they heard the name Joshua, they would have been reminded of God's salvation for them. And so we see the list of the other spies there, and we see what they're told to do here. They're, go, they're supposed to go and check out the land, go and see what's good there. Is there good fruit? Is there, are there nice trees? Are there good cities? What are the people like? Go find out all the things and bring back a report to us. And I can't help but imagine I think this is good for us to do this sort of thing. Imagine how this was supposed to play out. Now, most of us, I think a lot of us are very familiar with this story and how it's going to go. But the way that it appears that this was supposed to play out was this. is The people are slaves in Egypt and God sets them free and brings them out by all these miracles. And just a few months after being slaves in Egypt, they're now standing at the edge of the promised land. And they send the spies, and the spies come back, and they say, it's as good as God ever said it was. It's as beautiful as you've ever imagined. We'll see this report from some of them. It's flowing with milk and honey. It's beautiful. There are beautiful cities. The land is beautiful. It's, it's fertile, and everything that we could want is here. And they all get so excited, and they go up and take the land. That is the way that I imagine this was supposed to play out. This is what was supposed to happen. But look at the report that they bring back as we think about what does happen. Look in verse 25 of Numbers chapter 13. It says, At the end of 40 days they returned from spying out the land, and they came to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told him, We came to the land to which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. And what is its fruit? Look at verse 23. It says, They came to the valley of Esco and cut down from there a branch with a single cluster of grapes, and they carried it on a pole between two of them. They also brought back some pomegranates and some figs. And so the first part of this does play out as we thought it would, right? The spies go and they check things out and they're there for 40 days and the spies come back and they say, it's as good as you thought it was going to be. It's literally flowing with milk and honey. There are pomegranates and there are figs and there are luscious fruit. Listen, we went to one place and they had grapes so big that we cut one cluster of grapes and two of us had to carry it on a pole between us. This land is beautiful. This land is everything that God ever said that it was going to be. And how excited they should be to hear that. How excited to hear that it's just as good or even more good than, or better than they had imagined it was going to be. Because remember, the, all the while, all the while that they're hearing this report about all the things of the land, they should be remembering verse 2, when God said, send men to spout the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the people of Israel. Right? There's no ands, ifs, or buts. God says, go look at it because it's yours. Go check it out because I'm giving it to you. This is going, whatever you see is going to be yours. 
Point one this morning is this. God has promised, God had promised a good land to his people, and he has now shown it to them. God had before promised them, I'm going to take you to a good land. I'm going to take you to a land flowing with milk and honey. And this had been a promise, something that they were looking for, something that, that they hoped would happen, something that they prayed would happen, but now they've seen it. The spies have come back with the report. It's exactly what God said it was going to be. It's just like we had always imagined. Whenever I hear this, it makes me think of those home improvement shows. Any of y'all watch the Do-It-Yourself Network and HGTV? Any of y'all watch those? Now, come on, I know more of y'all than that watch that. You know, they have all these shows, and, and they have the experts come in, the brothers or whoever it is, and they come in, and the person says, well... We don't really like our house because of this, and we don't like our house because of this, and we don't have enough room, and we always need the kitchen to be more open, right? That's the big thing. We need everything to be more open and fix the layout. And so the guys come in, and they bring this computer-generated model. This is going to be your house. This is what it's going to look like when we're done. And do the people ever say, oh, well, I really loved that wall. I can't believe you're knocking. Or they always say, yes, this is what we wanted. This is what we've dreamed of. This is the beautiful house that, that, that will make all of our dreams come true. Isn't that how they act? They're so surprised and they're so happy. And that's what the people of Israel should have been like here. God says, I'm going to fix you a perfect land. And then he brings in the model that the spies go and look and they say, it's just like God said it was going to be. And they should have all gotten so excited and said, let's go. This is our house. This is our land. Let's go take it. Let's go live in it. And that's what some of the spies said they should do. Joshua and Caleb, two of the twelve, said, we have to to go now God has prepared it and God has promised us that it's just for us let's go take it you know I think not only about the beauty of the land as far as the fruit of course it's so it'd be so good to imagine you've been a slave for hundreds of years and you've just eaten whatever the people give you to eat and now you've been walking through the wilderness for a couple months and all you've had is this bread and it's great bread but it's bread and now you hear about milk and honey and figs and pomegranates and grapes. I can't imagine how enticing that would sound to them. But even, even more than that, I think something that would be special to them. In verse 22, when it's talking about the spies going through the land, it spends some time talking specifically about one part of the land called Hebron. And whenever you hear about Hebron, it doesn't mean that much to us. But I want to show you what it would mean to them. You don't have to turn, but in Genesis chapter 13, we have this for you. In Genesis 13, I'm just going to read to you a few verses that tell us about Hebron. In verse 14, it says, The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, Lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all the land that you see I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. Arise, walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. So Abraham moved from his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamar, which are at Hebron. 
and there he built an altar to the Lord. You see, these people that are now standing at the edge of the promised land, they would have known that story. They would have heard when they were slaves in Egypt, their parents and grandparents would have told them about their ancestor Abraham, who God told one day, I will give you all of the land around Hebron. As far as you can see, east and west and south and north, it's all going to belong to your descendants. They would have known that. They would have known that there was an altar to God built at Hebron. They would have known that Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, whose name is called Israel, where the country gets its name from, that they're all buried at Hebron. That would have been a special place to them. And whenever the spies came back and said, we saw all of this fruit, it would have been special. But when they said, we saw this at Hebron, that would have been like me saying to you something about your old home place. They would have said, we know that place. That's the place that God promised to us. And when they heard that name, it should have piqued something special in their mind to say, yes, this is exactly what God promised. This is exactly what God told us was going to happen. With the eyes of the spies, God gave the reminders of his faithfulness. The spies saw it. And they reported to the people, and the people should have been reminded, God is so faithful. God always keeps his promises. But of course, that's not what happens, is it? They don't listen to Joshua and Caleb. They don't listen to the good report. They say, okay, so there's fruit, and okay, so there's the place with the altar and the burial of our ancestors and all that good, but tell us what else you saw. And they said, well... We saw really strong cities. Big walls, fortified cities that would be really hard to take. We saw these men, the Anak, that are like giants compared to us who we couldn't ever defeat in battle. It looks like if we try to go in here that we're just simply all going to be killed. And the people were discouraged. And they forgot all of the things in the past three months they had seen the plagues and the sea and the manna and God defeating an army that they shouldn't have ever defeated. They had just seen all of these things. And at one negative report, all of it went to the wayside. They forgot every bit of it. They threw away God's promises and got scared and said, we can't go in. We can't go in. They actually said, wouldn't we be better off to have just died as slaves in Egypt? Let's elect a new leader and go back to Egypt. Maybe they'll just let us be slaves. That was their plan. Standing at the, land, at the edge of the land that God had promised to them, they decided they'd rather go back and be slaves in Egypt. But th this is where I want us to stop for just a minute and to stop talking about the people of Israel and talk about the people sitting here this morning, the people listening this morning on the podcast, because this is what I know. We hammer Israel for this, don't we? We say, how dumb are they? I can't believe them. All of the promises and all of the miracles and everything culminated for this very moment and they were scared to go in. How dumb are they? We say it over and over. Not out loud, but most of you have already thought it at least once this morning. They didn't trust God's promises. They didn't have enough faith. But I want to remind us this morning of all of the times that we do the exact same thing that Israel's doing right here. 
We stand right at the edge of one of God's promises, ready to see the fulfillment of His promise in our life, and we get scared and we back down. There are a couple of instances, there are a lot more than this, but a few that I see regularly that I thought I would share with you this morning. I think about Proverbs chapter 3, where we're told to trust in the Lord with all our heart, to lean not on our own understanding. All our ways acknowledge Him, and He'll make our path straight. Most of us have heard and know those verses. But so many times, instead of doing what the Scripture says, that if I will throw out my conventional wisdom and walk by faith and trust what God says in His Word, that He will guide me, that He will make my path straight, that He will make sure that I'm on the right course. Instead of doing that, so often what do we do? We say, well, you know what? I know what's best for me. I know the Scripture says that if I will put away my conventional wisdom, and now I know a lot of y'all are really, really smart people, all of you actually, very smart people. And it's very hard for us to say, I'm not going to listen to me. That's a good teaching for other people, but I'm smarter. I'm not your average bear, right? And we throw it away. We're standing somewhere, we're trying to make a decision, we're trying to do something in life, and we don't know which decision to make, we don't know where to go next, we don't know what we should do. And instead of praying and seeking God's direction, where we're promised that if we will do that, that He will guide us, instead we say, I can make a better decision because I understand all the circumstances and I know what's best for me. But the truth is, you don't. You don't know all the circumstances. You don't know what's coming next. You don't know what's best for you. The people of Israel did the same thing. They said, listen, we know that that land is full of fruit, but it's also full of giants. And if we go there, then we know that we're going to be killed. When all along God knew the circumstances that he had a plan to get rid of the fortified cities and the strong people and the strong armies. But they didn't trust him. They trusted in themselves. I see another specific instance in Matthew 5, we're told some things like that we should not resist one who is evil, but if anyone slaps you on the cheek, turn to him the other also. If anyone forces you to go with him one mile, go with him two. We're told to love our enemies, pray for those who persecute us. We're told in Romans 12 to repay no one, repay no one evil for evil. Never avenge ourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, quote, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. We're told that when people do bad things to us, not to retaliate, not to take matters into our own hands, not to be vengeful people, that God will take care of it. That God is in control. Look, you can flip back to the back of the Bible. You can read in the book of Revelation what's going to happen to evil people who aren't forgiven by the grace of God through Jesus Christ. That for those people, you can read about the punishment that they will have. How it will be eternal, and it will never stop. God promises, I will take care of that. You don't worry about trying to get evil. But so often, we're not willing to trust that. Because we say, you know what, that may happen in time, but I want it to happen now. God, that may happen in your way, but your way is not my way. And I want to make sure that this person gets what's coming to them. 
and we take those matters into our own hands and we retaliate and do something that we shouldn't have ever done. Why? Because we don't trust God's promise that he will handle that. One other that I see so prevalent is that in Matthew 6, we're told not to store up for ourselves treasures on earth, but treasures in heaven where they will be kept for us, where they won't be eaten or destroyed. Not to worry about trying to, to gather up all sorts of treasures here where they'll rot or decay or be stolen, but to, to worry about eternal things, to have an eternal focus, to worry about souls and worry about the glory of God and worry about being obedient to Him, worry about things that will never pass away, that He will keep secure for us until the day that we enter into eternity. And again, you can flip to the back of the book and you can read what that looks like. You can read about the glory of heaven and being in God's presence. You can read about all of the things that we will have there, the things that he's keeping and preparing for us. But so often, what do we say? We say, I'm going to trust my eyes more than I trust this word. And I don't know what treasures in heaven look like, but I know what a new house looks like. I know what being popular or famous looks like. I know what, what worrying about all of these things, what, what be having nicer toys than my neighbor. I know what that looks like. And so that's what I'm going to live for. Why? Because we don't trust God's promise. What do you and I and Israel standing at the edge of the promised land all have in common? Point two this morning, and there are only two points. I know some of y'all are worried because, man, there's going to be another one. This is the last point. Israel trusted their eyes more than they trusted God, and so do we. Israel trusted their eyes more than they trusted God, and so do we. We say, I want to see the vengeance. I want to see that person pay. For what they did to me. So I'm not going to trust God's promise to take care of it. I want to see the fruits of my I want to see with money in my bank account. I don't want things that are eternal, things that I can't see, things that I can't hold, things that I can't show off whenever I go to my 15-year class reunion. I want things that I can have now. We say, God, I know, I know that you say that you will guide me in the right direction, but I'm the one that knows what's best for me because I'm the one that's living here and now. So often we trust our eyes and our own ability more than we trust God. There are a couple of people that I want to speak to this morning as we close. The first one is the person that's here this morning that's lost and specifically those of you that are lost and you know about the salvation that's offered to you through Jesus Christ you know that he died on the cross you've been here, you've been to Sunday school you've been to vacation Bible school you know that Jesus died for you you know that he's offered you salvation but you worry too much about what it's going to cost you well if I become a Christian and start doing those things and start living that way then Maybe I won't have as many friends. Maybe these people won't want to be around me. Maybe it'll cost me something at work. Maybe it'll cost me money. And you get so worried about all of the cost that you're like Israel standing at the edge of the promised land. You can see the glory of what's offered to you, 
and you get so worried about the earthly things that you never inherited. That you never come to Jesus Christ in faith and repent of your sins and accept Him as Savior because you're worried about what it's going to cost you. Let me tell you today that it does cost in worldly sense something to become a Christian. You are called to crucify your own desires, to die daily to yourself and follow Christ, but I'm going to tell you this morning that it's all for your good and for His glory and that it's well worth the cost. If you're here this morning, let me just tell you that you are like the people of Israel. You stand to inherit everything that you could ever imagine and more through Jesus Christ. Don't worry about what that might cost you. Don't worry about the worldly sense of salvation. Come to Him today and experience His goodness and His promises. I also want to talk today to those of you that are here that are like the children of Israel in another way, that you have been set free from somewhere that you were a slave. God set them free from Egypt, and he told them. He said, I set you free in order to bring you to myself. He's saying, I set you free from being slaves there to offer you something better. And what do they say? They say, we just want to go back and be slaves. And some of you are that way in the sense that God has set you free from sin. You were a sinner, and whenever we're lost, we don't have any choice but to sin. Sin has power over us. We're slaves to sin, is what the Scriptures tell us. But God, through Jesus, has set you free from that. You're here this morning, and you're a Christian, and you don't have to sin because God has set you free for something more glorious, but you day after day decide, I would rather be a slave to that then I would live in the glory of God. And every day you give in to the temptation of sin that God has set you free from. If that's you here today, brothers and sisters, He didn't set you free from sin for you to turn around and go be a slave to sin again. He set you free so that you wouldn't have to sin anymore. I pray this morning that if you're here and you're a Christian and you know that you're continuing to sin, there's some habit that you haven't given up that God set you free so that you didn't have to have that habit anymore. And I pray this morning that you would come and you would repent of that and you would seek His strength to stay away from it. And the last person that I want to talk to is those of you that are here that are a Christian, but you are leaning too much on what your eyes and your mind tell you and you're not walking by faith. You're trusting yourself or your neighbor or your friend or your co-worker more than you're trusting God. Give that up. You don't know what's best for you. It's not just you. I don't know what's best for me, but God does. He is in control of all things. He will take care of all things if we will trust and follow Him. I pray this morning that if you're here and you're a Christian, but you have not been walking by faith, you haven't been living like a Christian, that you would dedicate yourself to that today. That's what we have accepted when we came into covenant with Him, is that we would obey Him. I want to invite you to stand. I don't know who you are. I don't know how the Lord's speaking to you today. But I trust that through His Word that He has something that He's calling all of us to do. If you need somebody to talk to you, to share something with you, explain something, to pray with you, I would love that opportunity. Brother Dusty's here. He would love that opportunity. If you want to come pray at these altars, please, by all means, come and pray. If you want to pray where you are, if you have something that you need to make public, we invite you to do all those things, or however the Lord leads you to worship Him and respond to Him as Brother Shane leads us in a hymn of invitation.